the rest of us, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 2, all right? So if you've got your Bibles or your Bible apps or your church apps, Matthew chapter 2 is where we're going to be, verses 1 through 12, all right? Matthew 2, 1 through 12. Uh, we're talking about the wise men this morning. Uh, here's, before I uh, read the scripture, here's, I want to take a quick poll, all right? Uh, because if there is any part of the Christmas story that we understand the least, it's the part of the wise men, all right? So, so we have a, so let's start first of all. We, we know that there were wise men, and we're about to read about that, right? So, uh, how many of you believe or have always believed that there, are, there were three, that there were three wise men? All right, hands high, all right? Okay, awesome. Uh, how many of you have heard it as wise men? Let's start with that. There's a lot of names for these guys. How many of you have heard them called wise men? Right, because that's kind of our latest translation. How many of you called, heard them called magi? The older term, yep. All right. Um, how many of you have heard them called kings? Right, because there's a whole hymn about that, right? We three kings. All right. Uh, where are they from? From the east, right? That's, that's what Scripture tells us. They're from the east. All right. So, hold on to those thoughts. All right. Hold on to those thoughts. Uh, this is going to be a fun morning. Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Uh, these scripture give us literally everything we know for sure about who these guys were. All right. Here's what it says. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem. And they asked, where is the one who was born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from, the, from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. All right, so uh, we are looking at expectations in the Christmas story. Uh, we looked last week at some of the Old Testament expectations, sort of some of the more prophetic expectations, what were God's people expecting the Messiah to look at. And, uh, and then the first week, we looked at Mary and Joseph. What were they expecting? What did they know? And how did they think God was at work in their midst? So this week, uh, we're all about the wise men, the magi, the kings. Uh, so... Uh, this week, our expectations are not just about the wise men's expectations, but also about our own expectations about how the Christmas story works. <laughs> uh, because 
most of us, when it comes to the wise men, we have a very, um, we'll call it historical, historically built view of these men. So, let's start first of all with who they were. It says that there were magi from the east that came to Jerusalem. Now, magi, the, the, in the original uh, language is where we come up with that word magi, uh, they, it's, a, it's an old term, all right? It's not, it's not a new group. Uh, it's, it's this old term. In fact, uh, you can find the same term uh, in the book of Daniel. Uh, when Daniel is called, if you remember anything about Daniel's story, Daniel is called in to be one of the, like, uh, uh, not overseers, but one of the, the wise people, the wise men. He, Daniel's called to be a wise man for Nebuchadnezzar, and the other people who are with him are, are called magi. <laughs> and and in some translations later on, it's, it's the sorcerers, <laughs> right? So that ought to tell you right there that the Magi are maybe not quite as uh, religious people as you might think. The other piece is uh, they're probably not kings, right? With the, the song, We Three Kings, really what that is built on uh, is an understanding of, of two scriptures, one from Isaiah 60 and the other from Psalm 72. And it makes sense because let me, let me read this to you and, and you'll see exactly why uh, you'll see why people believe that it's, it's kings, all right? So in Isaiah 60, uh, there's this, this prophetic looking forward. It says, Arise and shine, for your light has come. The glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, darkness covers the earth, and thick darkness is over the people, but the Lord rises upon you, and his glory appears over you. That sounds a lot like a shining star, right? But here's what it says, Nations will come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your dawn. Lift up your eyes and look about you. All assemble and come to you. Your sons come from afar. Your daughters are carried on the hip. Then you will look and be radiant. Your heart will throb and swell with joy. The wealth on the seas will be brought to you. To you, the riches of the nations will come. Herds of camels will cover your land. Young camels of Midian and Ephah and all from Sheba will come bearing gold and incense and proclaiming the praise of the Lord. Now, you could probably see where that piece of Scripture, where we would look at and go, oh man, you have these, these important kings, all nations are going to come, they're going to worship you, and not only that, they're going to bring gold and incense, right? Two of the gifts that our magi bring in our story. And then to even further reiterate, in Psalm 72, 8 through 11, it says, May he rule from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. May the desert tribes bow before him and his enemies lick the dust. May the kings of Tarshish and of distant shores bring tribute to him. May the kings of Sheba and Seba present him gifts. May all kings bow down to him and all nations serve him. So you can see where from these scriptures you might piece together, oh, well, if all the kings are going to come and bow before him and they're going to bring gold and incense, it must be these kings they were talking about. These, these men must be kings. The problem is it's not what the scripture says. It's, it's, a, good, it's a good guess for sure, right? Because we look at scripture and we think, oh, that makes sense. The, the hard part with prophecy is knowing which ones fit where. Right? It's not just that, that the prophecy is made, it's interpreting when is it, when is it fulfilled and who's fulfilling it. Because in the text, what we get is there were some magi from the east. Now, 
the most likely scenario is that these magi, the word magi was generally uh, only used for one group of people. And it was this great one, right? You ready for this word? It's a great word. Zoroastrian. <laughs> it's a good one, right? Zoroastrian, all right? So, so the Zoroastrians are actually, there's still a, a faith that exists today, very minimally in the U.S., but mostly in, um, in Iran. But uh, this group was sort of what I would call a hodgepodge in that time, all right? It's sort of solidified since this time uh, into a more structured religion. And you might, you might actually resonate with, with some of these ideas, right? Because the Zoroastrians believe that there is essentially a, a good force, a good God, and then there's this, there's this evil one who's trying to rip you away from the good one, and the whole goal is to do what is right and say what is right so you can get close to the one that's good. Well, that sounds pretty familiar, doesn't it? <laughs> but the Zoroastrians in this time, the ones that came from Persia, which, to, by the way, is in the east, uh, the Zoroastrians in that time were a mix. You had, you had some religion, and so they were looking at these holy texts like the Scripture of the Hebrews. <laughs> they're looking at these, these holy texts, and, but they're also looking at astronomy, right? They're looking at the stars. And I, and I would say, uh, let me differentiate here, because there's astronomy and there's astrology, and those two things are very different right? Astronomy is much more, is the scientific one of the two, all right? Astronomy is the one where you study the stars and movements of planets and, and all of those fun scientific things. Astrology is the, the more spiritualized branch, right? It's the branch that says, well, I'm a Sagittarius, right? This group was sort of a hodgepodge of all of that, <laughs> There was, there was religion, there was astronomy, there was astrology, even a little bit, there's claims historically of occult practices, right? In fact, even that word, magi, it's where we get our word magic from. So, I want to propose to you this morning uh, that the magi were possibly, my favorite phrase that I found as I'm doing my research um, there is some, by the way, if you look this stuff up online, there are some really obscure ideas out there. But my favorite by far was a video who, a guy described all these things which are historically accurate, and then his phrase was, they were space wizards. And I thought, man, what a great way to phrase that. Space wizards, all right? Uh, so for all of you who I've been telling all week long that we're going to talk about space wizards, this is where we're at, all right? So, so it was this this hodgepodge group, but they, they would search the scriptures, they would search the stars, they would consult these things. And, and I think what happened is we, we have cleaned up this part of the story uh, for two reasons. The first is because we really don't know who these people were. Like when it's, the story just says the Magi came looking for a king, we don't know. It doesn't tell us anything else about them. Right? Was it the actual magi, the people that, that, that in this time they would have called magi, or was it an offshoot group? We really don't know. And when we don't know things in Scripture, it makes us nervous. <laughs> we don't like not knowing things. <laughs> right? In fact, when I was in seminary, in, in, my, in my preaching class, one of the things they taught you, uh, one of the things I was taught was that when you preach, you do not bring up a question you cannot answer. <laughs> This is sort of our general approach to things, 
right? We like to have answers. And these people just don't have answers. But the other piece of it is, the other piece of this, and the reason I think we've kind of done some changing, it's why they morphed into kings and wise men, right? I think it's because, as, like I know that as a parent, right? What sounds better when I'm telling my children that people come to worship Jesus? Does it sound better to say that some wise men came and worshiped Jesus, right? So that we can make the catchy church slogan that I've seen this year, which is that wise men still seek Jesus. That's fair, right? But it's a cleanup, right? Because it sounds a lot better than the sorcerers came to worship Jesus. We don't like that one. And it happens, it happens all the time. We don't like to think that people who practiced another religion would find God before his own people. So we have the Magi. Now, most of us have heard that there were three of them. And if you, if you, come, from, uh, if you come from a more uh, traditional background, and especially, uh, especially like in the Catholic Church, uh, these three wise men have names, right? Do you guys, anybody know what the three wise men's names were historically? I've got them in case you don't. Frank, frankincense, myrrh, we'll get to those in a second, yeah. So, so you got Jasper, uh, spelled with a G, by the way, uh, Baltazar, and then there's one that starts with an M, anybody? Melchior, <laughs> all right? Jasper, Balthazar, and Melchior, all right? How we came up with these, I honestly cannot tell you because there's about six different theories on where these names came from. Here's what I can tell you. The reason we assume there are three is because there were three different gifts, right? Gold, frankincense, myrrh, everybody gets one, right? And remember in our little, in our little like, pictures, right, you bring the little box, right, the guy with the box, and he's bringing the little thing of gold, and it's great, Right? That's why we assume there were three. Now, the problem is, it doesn't say that. It doesn't say there were three. In fact, here's what we have to consider. When we give a gift, and this has been true not just now, but including back then, when you give a gift, generally speaking, your gift is proportionate to what you think of the person getting the gift. Right? So, so in other words, most of us are not going to go to Walmart after church today buy all the iPads they have in stock, and then disperse them randomly on the street. Because we don't know those people, and the iPads are a little expensive, <laughs> right? We're going to reserve the iPads for the grandkids, <laughs> because we know them, and we love them, and they'll appreciate it, and, you know. So, so what we give, the, the gifts that we give generally are in proportion to how well we know someone, and how, how much we think of them. Well, imagine for a moment that you're a group of people who has been searching the stars and the scriptures, and you have found that the king of kings is come to earth. Now, the gift you're bringing, is it a couple of coins? Probably not. The gift you're bringing is the most outrageous gift you can think of. Right? It's as much as you can possibly muster. Because consider for a moment, consider for a moment that you're, in this story, you have King Herod, right? You get, you get the, the honor, the privilege of that time to go and meet the king, right? You're bringing the best. <laughs> so was it three guys with a little box of gold? Or 
was it more likely there was a whole lot more people? <laughs> I mean, if we're honest, it's probably a whole lot more people, right? Because it's not just, there, there were not only three magi in the world, <laughs> there were a lot of magi. Now, I do want to put the, the, the caveat on this, right? Because what we know from Scripture is very limited, right? The realm, the realm that we're working in right now is from historical context, right? Who were the Magi historically? What, what sorts of things did they do? How did they interact with people historically? Those things we find out from other books that tell us the history. What we do know is that when they come to town and they're seeking a king, it says they came to Jerusalem and they asked, where is the one who's been born king of the Jews? There's something important happening, and they know it. <laughs> and here's how it says the, the world reacted. It says, when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. Now, why, why were they disturbed? Herod, let's be honest, Herod is disturbed because he's the king, he's been put in charge, and now all of a sudden somebody's saying there's another king. And when you get power, you want to keep it. <laughs> so there's some, there's some disturbedness there. But here's the other thing we know from history. What we know from history is that, that magi, when they traveled, would travel with a cavalry. Because if you're just bringing a little box of gold, that's easy enough to throw on the back of your camel and go. If you're bringing all the gold you can muster... You don't want to get robbed. <laughs> You're easy pickings, right? So they would travel. When they travel with these gifts, uh, they would travel with these things with a cavalry. They had this huge group that would travel with them to protect them. And so it's no wonder the city would be astir. <laughs> Why would the city be nervous about a new king? In fact, uh, let's be honest, Herod wasn't a great king. <laughs> it's not like he, he was so loving and generous to his people that they adored him. Right? They're astir because this mass of guys have shown up. And let's be honest, they're probably a little nervous because if Herod's nervous, everybody's nervous. And so Herod, it's interesting here what Herod does, because Herod, Herod is not a Jew, right? He's not a God follower. And it says, he called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, and he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. So this is interesting to me. Because Herod's assumption, when they say, hey, there must be a new king of the Jews, he believes it enough to ask the leaders of the Jews where this is going to happen. Where do I need to go look? And they say, in Bethlehem, in Judea, which for them is, it's an obvious answer. They've studied the scripture. They know this one. Because of this, this Old Testament quote, you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people. And Herod, Herod believed this enough. Because let's be honest, if Herod didn't believe this were true, if he's like, oh, those scriptures don't make sense, it's fine, right? He's not sending anybody. You're only, you're only going after people if you're nervous. If you believe that this is going to happen. So this is another, uh, this is the second person in our Christmas story. Now we have the Magi and Herod who are not God followers, who still believe that God's going to do what he's going to do. It's interesting to me. So he calls the Magi secretly and he, to find out the exact time the star appeared, and then he sent them on, and he's, he tells them this little lie. He says, 
go and find him so that I can worship him too. Come back and tell me so that I can worship him. And meanwhile, he's plotting to kill. (laughs) He's got to protect his throne. So it says, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. So how, let's just just consider this for a moment in this story, because I don't think we give this enough credit, right? We think of the star as this star in the sky that they followed, and just kind of like on their way to the star, they magically found the, the home of where Jesus was. But it says here specifically that the star stopped over the place where Jesus was. <laughs> like a star traveled with them and then stopped. And it says, when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. Then it says, on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary. Now the word there, child, is why we know that the uh, wise men did not come while they were still in the manger scene. (laughs) Because the word child is not the word you would use for a newly born child. The word child is someone that you would use for someone who's like one to three years old. So, shattering some expectations again this morning, uh, the wise men were not in the manger scene. (laughs) But tradition holds, the the long tradition was not even that Jesus was a year or two or three years old. The, The tradition for a long time in the church was that they came 12 days after Jesus was born which is where our 12 days of Christmas comes from, right? But it's also why uh, there is a, I would call it like a Christian feast day, 12 days after Christmas. <laughs> because for a long time, the tradition was that these, these men came, they showed up 12 days after Jesus was born. But the word here for child means he was a little bit older. Uh, it also says that they came to the house, not to the... <laughs> so they come to the house, and apparently, after a couple of years, uh, Jesus' family is still there. They've, they've settled into this, this town. And it says they saw the child and they bowed down and worshipped him. It's interesting because it doesn't show us any hesitation. right? Because most of us, if we are told that a king is being born, we're expecting, like they did, right? They went to Jerusalem, to the house of Herod. <laughs> A king is being born. Where is, it, where is the new king going to be born? In the palace. <laughs> and so they go there first, and they visit Herod, and they realize, well, that's not, that's not where it's happening. And they end up in this little town, end up in this little town in this humble home, and it doesn't show any hesitation. It doesn't say they walked in and they looked around and went, this can't be right. Because <laughs> that's what most of us would do. If we're reading the signs and we're looking at the prophecy, and we're like, oh, a new king is being born, and this is what we come to, we're not expecting that. <laughs> but they don't. It just says they bow down and they worship him, a child. <laughs> and it says they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. These gifts are, are really interesting. Gold, we all know, any of us would accept a gift of gold, <laughs> right? It's like, sure, I'll take gold for Christmas. <laughs> In fact, I had a guy... Um, a guy in my, it was one of my, was one of my first churches um, who was very adamant that the banks were going to fail soon. And so I, I'll never forget my very first board meeting um, when his recommendation was that we should pull out all of our funds from the bank and buy gold instead. <laughs> gold has maintained, it's one of those things that across history has maintained its prominence. 
And so they offer him this gold, this money, right? And then they offer him frankincense. So this is a, a we'll call it a perfume, the best word. It's a perfume, and especially a perfume that is preferred by rulers. It's kind of like how in that time, uh, purple, the color purple, was sort of seen as a royal color, right? It was the same thing with frankincense. This is a royal scent. And those two make sense, right? Because you got gold, everybody needs money. Frankincense, we're honoring you as the king, right? But then they give him myrrh. Myrrh is an extremely unusual gift, okay? Because there were really, there were really like two main things that myrrh was used for, uh, the first is that myrrh was used in, an, in the embalming process when you died. <laughs> Congratulations, you've had a baby. Here's some embalming fluid. Now, for those of us who already know the end of Jesus' story, that gift kind of makes sense in a prophetic way. But the other thing myrrh was used for in that time was it would be mixed with anointing oil for when kings were anointed. And so they come and they, they bring these gifts, likely lots of them, right? And I got to thinking this week, where'd they all go, right? Because let's, let's assume for a minute that if they believe that the king of kings is coming, they're not just bringing a little jar of gold, they're bringing as much gold as they can carry on their camels. And they're bringing as much frankincense and as much more. What happened to it all? Where did it all go? Because we know that when Jesus was growing up, he wasn't, he didn't grow up wealthy. There's no sign that Jesus' family was super well off. They had some big thriving business. We know that his, that his dad worked. Uh, there's a lot of theories on this, and I'm not going to spend too much time, but I'll offer this. Uh, shortly after this, right after this, uh, Jesus' family has to run away to Egypt because Herod is killing every, all the children because he doesn't like that there's going to be this other king. So Herod, they have to run, and they run to Egypt, and, and they are in Egypt for a number of years before they come back. And somewhere in, these, in this time frame, first of all, um, traveling is not cheap. Living in a foreign country is not cheap. Starting a business for Joseph is not cheap. So, so the theories, and, and I think the most, most plausible series... Uh, theory for what happened to especially the gold is that the gold helped fund their escape to Egypt and then eventually Joseph's business. <laughs> he had to start with some of them. <laughs> now, we don't know. And honestly, I think there's something really uh, not just poetic but theological to that fact. It's that it doesn't matter. <laughs> it doesn't matter what happened to the gold, the frankincense, the myrrh, because if it mattered, God would have told us. <laughs> what mattered is that you have these wise men, these learned men, these men who study the stars and the scripture. And it's almost like you get this picture, like they're always studying something. These men come and worship Jesus. They come and they give this child everything that they can. And so in one way, the Magi's expectations had to shift, right? Because they go to Herod first, assuming a king's going to be born in the, in the palace. In some ways it shifted, but in, in a bigger way, the Magi might be the only people in the entire Christmas story whose expectations are actually met. Because their expectation that was that a new king of the Jews was being born, that a new era of kingship and kingdom was being ushered in. 
And they were right. They were right. And this is not something that, that, uh, that the church historically is good at admitting because we don't like to admit when people who aren't Christians are right. <laughs> but you have these, these learned men of other faiths who are recognizing that Jesus is something special. That there is a, a new kingdom being established that not just, not just a king, but the king of kings. That there is no higher king that would ever be found or ever was found. So although their, their, their smaller expectations of where they would find him might not have been met, their expectations of a king of kings was certainly met in Jesus. Because there's no one else in the history of the world, in the history of creation, that has done what Jesus has done. There's nobody else who could do what Jesus did. Here's how that applies to us. Because most of us, most of us are not magi. Now I'm hoping, just throwing this, I'm hoping none of you are Zoroastrianists, uh, but <laughs> we can work through that later. <laughs> Here's the thing. They, they searched what they knew to be true, and they found Jesus. And I, I believe that when you and I search what we know to be true, we find Jesus. Because he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, right? So if anything is true, it must be in Jesus, <laughs> So when you and I are looking for truth, when we're looking for hope, when we're looking for the, all the things that make life worth living, they are found in Jesus. And that's what the Magi found. They probably didn't even realize at the time just how huge of a discovery they had made. But still they came and they worshiped. You and I, we have a pretty good idea of the discovery we've made <laughs> because we have the scriptures that lay it out for us. We have testimony of people around us who have experienced the goodness of God. We have so much truth that surrounds us. We have to respond. And our response should follow in this line of the Magi who traveled for a very long time, right? Let's, let's just picture, maybe, maybe the star arises in the sky when Jesus is born. And then the Magi travel for months to get there. And they arrive and they worship. Some of us, we give up. We give up way too soon because we don't see God at work in the specific things we want or we don't see God at work in these areas of our lives that we've been hoping for and we, we give up seeking. So my encouragement to you this morning is don't give up. Right? Don't give up. If you are, if you are looking for truth, God says if you seek, you will find. Keep seeking because you will find. Because those roads, those roads of truth and life, they lead to Jesus.
It's the only place they can lead because he is the truth and he is the life. So keep seeking in this season. Keep seeking. Let me pray. God, we're thankful that when we look, when we, when we, when we follow those resources, when we look and, and, and we assess our lives, God, we're glad that it leads to you. But sometimes, God, it's, it's hard when you're in the moments of life that, 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 shadow, that overshadow the, the good, that overshadow the, the truth. God, it's hard sometimes to see. And so we pray, God, that like, like the star in this story that leads the magic, God, we pray that you would shine a light into those shadowy places of our lives. Shine your light and show us the way the truth, and the life. Reach us this week, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.